Yokoso, welcome to Amakara Japan. We are glad you have come back to listen with us. This is episode eight of Amakara Japan, and we are with Yasushi and Steven. Hello. Konnichiwa. And we are excited to be talking about Japanese news topics that are recently happening here in Japan that might not hit international headlines. So welcome back, listeners, and hope you enjoy this podcast. Today we are discussing a few articles about new things happening in Japan. Uh, one of the major news topics happening right now, or the major things discussed in the news, is Japan is resuming their commercial whaling capturing after about 30 years. I think back in 1986, there was a law that banned any commercial whaling for happening anymore, so they couldn't be hunting in the waters for it. But here recently, Japan... What was it? They withdrew from the International Whaling Commission so that it That's right. no longer has to be subjugated to its rules. So, Yasushi, give us a little bit of the background about whaling and why this is such a big topic happening here in Japan. Yeah, so this is a news that surprised a lot of Japanese people because, you know, in back in the 1950s and 60s, the whale meat was really popular. So my grandparents, even my you know parents, they... Used to eat a lot of whale meat. And back in the 60s, when the height of commercial whaling, the whale meat was the, actually the most popular meat that the Japanese people consumed. It is said that more than half of the meat consumption in Japan was whale meat. So you can see how popular it was, right? It was even served in school lunches. Yeah, that's, I But, remember some friends of mine saying, Yeah, I remember eating whale at, at school for, for lunch. Yeah, but it's not popular anymore. The, it, it is. So the Japanese people have been hunting whales for centuries. And you could say it's a, you know, one of our traditions, but the tradition is dying. For example, it is very hard to find whale meat nowadays in supermarkets. They don't sell it. You have to go to a specialty restaurant, right? So a lot of people have never tasted whale meat. I myself have only tasted once. How was you know, I thought it was... Good, but I don't know if it's because the whale meat is good or is it because of the way that the chef cooked it? Because it was a good restaurant, right? You cannot eat, you know, cheap whale meat anymore. <laughs> you know, a good ones. So <laughs> I don't know, but I thought I thought it was it was okay. But a lot of people, for example, my parents told me that they the whale meat tastes like rubber, very chewy, not soft, and they're not considered good meat. So. I don't know if it's going to be popular again, you know, once they, even though they've already started hunting whales again. Why did they decide to do this? I mean, I, I know, like, per the article, they said, you know, in 1986, they stopped whaling except for uh, research purposes. Scientific research purposes, you could still get whales. But then I think from what the article was mentioning was that even though they were doing these Research the excess whale meat that they had ended up getting on the market anyway, and they were selling it. So it was kind of this background workaround. But my question is, is why? I mean, I don't see an influx of Japanese people are like, please bring back whale. It's delicious. We want it back. Why all of a sudden do you feel like Japan wants to start up that market again or to back away from the International Whaling Commission and go against their rules so that they can start whaling again? Why, why the purpose of doing that? Right? I think that's a great mystery. Even to, honestly, I don't know why they wanted to resume, you know, hunting whales. Because even under the scientific research, the Japanese fishermen kept hunting whales, right? So 
I don't know. I, I guess it, a lot of the people in the older generation, they think it's a great tradition of the Japanese economy and they wanted to hunt whales in a lawful manner. And they could probably, because the, the consumption of whales is really small now. It's less than 0.1% of what the Japanese people used to eat. Mm-hmm. Wow. So, right. But so they want to bring, you know, the whale meat back on the table again i guess yeah i think it's kind of like you were saying with the old far old fishermen kind of the traditional i bet a lot of the coastal villages and whatnot want to bring back that tradition and they get to the right people to get the law passed plus it seems very japanese to be like we want to do this so we're going to get out of the group that says we can't do it so that we can because we're japan yeah i think it's a very sad thing because they are they decided to withdraw from International Whaling Commission because they couldn't get the support from the international community. Sounds very selfish. (laughs) And I'm ashamed of that as a Japanese person. Well, it'll be interesting. I mean, I know that that law was already put into place just because the numbers of whales like were declining and they needed to make sure they weren't hunting so many whales that it depleted and kind of made the whales an endangered species or extinct. So I know that was the original reason back in the 1980s why they put forth that rule so i and maybe because like japanese culture like the country is kind of an aging population and now you know they're just these aged fishermen or these coastal cities as steven said they're like we want this whale back it's there must be a market for it in order for them to drop out of this commission so that they they can do this whaling stuff yeah, so the question is, would there be the market for whale meat? Because a lot of Japanese people in my generation and under my generation have never tasted whale meat, right? It's a very rare thing. So I don't know if people want to start eating whale meat anymore. Yeah, and it's also, it's kind of a, a taboo thing right now because eating whale meat is kind of still a bad thing for most of the rest of the world. I mean, the younger generations being exposed more to Western culture and like, doing things to save the earth and save the environment and such, they might feel uncomfortable jumping on the bandwagon of eating whale when the rest of the world's like, you shouldn't do this. Yeah, absolutely. Like Michelle mentioned, on the whales that Japanese fishermen are going to hunt this time, they are classified as endangered species under the Washington Convention. So it's not a good thing, right? Yeah, I I don't see this being a good thing. All of a sudden, I just feel like they're going to either run out of the resources of whale or they're just not going to have a market for it. Like you said, the generation that your generation doesn't, hasn't ever really tried whale, has no idea. It's not kind of a delicacy per se, even. Yeah, could be a a big downfall for the economy, for the fishermen in the end. Well, the reason they they started on the hunting again is because they know that the number of whales is slowly recovering and they also put a cap on the number of whales that they can hunt. So they claim that they're going to keep on hunting in a sustainable way. As long as they're conscientious about them being like keeping it sustainable so that it isn't extinction or anything like that with the whales as long as they're conscientious of that i do appreciate that i don't feel like they okay we're just gonna go and hunt and destroy all of that yeah whale meat 
Well, this topic kind of leads into our other news article about kind of this underhandedness that since this commission won't let us whale, we, uh, we're going to go against all this. And this kind of leads into our other topic about a company called JASRAC, which is the Japanese... Oh, let me Society of the Rights of Authors, Composers, and Publishers. Thank you, Stephen. Where they kind of handle all the royalties of uh, classical music and music in general. And there was a spy that essentially went into these classrooms at Yamaha Music School to see how they are delivering this music in so much that they are, there's a lawsuit saying that these teachers who are teaching kids music, that it's almost performance-based and they need to give royalty fees and copyright fees for performing this music. I think this is ridiculous. I mean, it's a class. It's an educational purpose. They're, they're working on teaching these kids. That would be the same as like going into each teacher's classroom in the public school system and charging them for using different materials that somebody else had created to teach their lessons. I mean, there's this fair use law where you can use a lot of things if it's for educational purposes. Using music to teach should be under that same guise, under that same idea. But the idea that they sent somebody in for what two years she was in this school building up a case and she's supposed to testify it's just crazy that they went this route to try to get their royalty fees i think a lot of japanese people agree with your idea steven so we are we are certainly shocked when he, we heard about this news and some people even wondered if it is even legal to send spies to these music schools yeah, this is not the first time the jazz rack uh, sent spies. They've sent spies before. And the sad thing is they've won many lawsuits before. So they were successful in charging these royalty fees from karaoke shops or dance classes. So, you know, if you think about dance classes, they're doing it for educational purposes too. But now the dance classes have to pay these you know, royalty fees, copyright fees, if they want to play the music that belongs to jazz rack. How, do you know how much like these copyright fees are, the royalty fees? It's, it's like 2%, yeah, 3%, 2%, something like that. Of the revenue received from the lesson fees. So it's a low percent, but the idea is still just terrible. Yeah, if you think, if you're the owner, the operator of these music schools, and you're gonna get you're gonna if you lose two percent of your revenue, that's a big deal. Yeah. This article was interesting to me from a theatrical standpoint because I do a lot of theater and you know, I have a lot of playwright friends and artists who their work is like that is how they survive is getting the royalties and copyright fees of people performing their their shows or their works. But then I'd look at like Jazz Rack as, you know, they're the agents of these publishers or these composers associated with it. So it's like, I know that they're trying to make sure that their artists are getting paid for what they do. But at the same time, I feel like they're just this big corporation that, I mean, they, they take a cut of what the artist supplies to you. So, and then you get put into these situations where, all right, now we can only do royalty-free music. I mean, we can only play the Mozarts and Beethoven sort of pieces, and you don't get to know the newer works because of these 
legality issues associated with it. I just think that, like, I can understand when you're doing, like, a recital or some public performance. Yes, you know, if you're doing that. But if you're just in the classroom, just throwing on a CD to do some music, to have uh, the kids learn how to play it, listen to it, how to understand it, you're teaching them. It's education. <laughs> it's not for the purpose of en enjoyment. Because we all know practicing things for a long time is not enjoyable. Yeah, so I guess the reason they, the jazz rack, sent the spies to these music companies is that they want to establish the case that the music is played for enjoyment. And that's ridiculous. I don't like it. I understand you have no. the artists getting their royalties and their for their livelihood. They need that money and whatnot. But... When you do it at this extent, it's just nitpicking it so much that, like you just said, Michelle, it just makes you so pigeonholed into what you can do. It takes any sort of fun out of it and makes it way worse. Yeah, I agree. It's very important for the creators to have these copyright fees because that's their you know, main income. But at the same time, uh, a lot of Japanese people think jazz rack is maybe going a little bit too far. They are greedy. So a lot of people are watching how this lawsuit is going to turn out. Yeah. I mean, it kind of makes you wonder if in the future, you know, if Jazzrak wins this case of what the next thing, you know, if they're like, okay, we've succeeded in dance classes, we've succeeded at karaoke places to like give us these royalty fees. Now we've gotten these music halls doing all this. What's the next thing? I mean, are they just like, if you're singing on the street, no music. Um. Oh, that's my song you have to pay royalty fees type yeah. of thing. It's like, who's the next? <laughs> I, I doubt it'd be that bad, but I wouldn't, if they win, I could see them eventually getting into the public school systems, into the music classes and the teachers who are trying to teach in the public schools, having to pay royalties to be able to do things there. I mean, that's the thing is like it just little by little, they would just start taking over and making it fees for everybody. Oh. Boom size will be really boring then at that point because right. they can't do any. Well, the right. So, like the sports festivals, they usually play the famous pop music. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So you know? what, what yeah. I'm curious is, is interesting because I've noticed that a lot of Japanese companies will use copyrighted material from Western cultures. Just They'll just use it. They won't pay any royalties, they won't pay any fees. They'll just like take it and use it until they're told you can't but they will not let you use their own stuff at all. So they love taking other people's works and not paying, but you better pay for anything from Japan that you use. I think if the teachers use Western music in class, for example, they have to pay. If they don't, it's illegal. But usually it doesn't become a problem because students don't know much about copyright. Right. Yeah. Ignorance. <laughs> yeah. Ignorance is bliss until it costs you a lot of money. Yeah. Well, then our next last article we want to kind of discuss is the Olympics. The Olympics are always kind of really big here now that it's about a year away from Tokyo 2020 Olympics. And so they have started the ticket lottery for spectators or audience members to come and, and see the Olympics. But they're having a challenge. So they've just won this ticket to go see the Olympics or these events in the Olympics. But now they can't book a hotel room for seeing these things. So the article goes about this woman who was lucky enough to 
uh, win tickets to the finals for gymnastics, I believe, men's gymnastics. She lives in Chiba. The event is in Tokyo. And so she wanted to book a hotel nearby the event center so she wouldn't have to kind of deal with traffic um, or the crowds kind of in public transportation. And the hotels are not taking any bookings during the time of the Olympics. A lot of the Olympic committee, both for the Olympics and Paralympics, have already booked all of the guest rooms. All the officials have already booked it for... Yeah, 46,000 rooms. And it's incredible. And now these people have no, like, no place to stay, even though they've just won these lottery tickets. So we're expecting to have about... 10 million tourists um, during the Olympic season so next year. That's a 25% increase of the population of Tokyo, Greater Tokyo area. 25% mm. more. That's adding. That's insane. There are approximately 300,000 hotel rooms in the Tokyo metropolitan area now. So I think they are going to have to figure out how to accommodate all the guests, all the tourists during the Olympic season. And they are now talking about the Airbnb type of, you know, private lodgings and also hotel ships, which is like the cruise ships. Um, oh, yeah. Some tourists can stay in the cruise ships. So they can use it as a hotel room. So all of Tokyo Bay will now just be cruise ships. The thing that frustrated me reading this article is that like the Tokyo officials or the Olympic Committee have reserved all of these rooms and accommodations at these hotels, about 46,000 rooms but they say that they probably won't be using them all yeah um, they admit they're like yeah we probably don't need these and i i'm curious to know of what will happen you know when they as they draw near like i understand they need to be prepared for who needs to come so like ambassadors and, and people who are, are coming to visit and needed for the committee for uh, volunteers things like that but then what happens when, okay, we only needed 40,000, so we have these 6,000 rooms available, like, are the hotels just going to charge an exorbitant amount of money to fill it up? And are people going to spend that much so that they can book that room and reserve there? I don't think there's any money associated with booking hotels. I think they can cancel as long as it's not like, you know, a week before the actual, you know, staying Okay. I think they can just say, we cancel, like, you know, maybe six months before the Olympic game starts. And then the room will fill up pretty quickly because there are a lot of people waiting to book their rooms. But the problem is, you know, it is so difficult to get the Olympics tickets, right? I myself apply for like five games and I couldn't get any tickets. Oh. It is very difficult. They say that the only 2% of people who applied have actually ended up getting tickets. So you can tell how difficult it is. And people who got the tickets were so happy and they decided, you know, they have to get reserve their hotel rooms. And it turns out if they cannot stay, if, you, if they cannot find a room to stay, they, there's no way they can watch the games, right? Well, my question, if you, for you specifically, if you were able to, in the next lottery, if you apply to the lottery and you get these tickets, you live somewhat close to Tokyo, but... I don't have any problem because I live in Tokyo. I can just go You would be anywhere. fine commuting. Because yeah. I was looking at this yeah. woman in Chiba who, uh, like, it's Chiba to Tokyo, 
an hour and a half, two hours. Like, I know that's an awful time to spend with crowds and everything, but I mean, it was really surprising that I was like, why is she, why is she getting a hotel? Chiba is, Chiba is a big, kind of a big prefecture. So it depends on where in Chiba you live, right? If you live in the southern coastal area of Chiba, it's going to be like more than like three hours train ride. Um, I think these things matter more to people who live in the countryside, right? And with how late, like, if she's going to the finals, like, it might go later into the evening and she can't get a train home because of how the trains stop it. That's a good question. Will the trains run past midnight during the Olympics? I think that, I think they're talking about it also, you know, to extend the train hours because usually the Japanese trains, the final train is like, 12 o'clock midnight. Yeah. Yeah, because I can't imagine hosting that amount of people and closing, like having last train at, at midnight. Uh, just, I, I think the foreigners will all be stranded in karaoke rooms and capsule hotels, although those will probably all be booked. So they'll just be stranded on the street. And <laughs> So the interesting thing is, you know, since they cannot find enough hotel rooms around Tokyo area, they're thinking that maybe they need to find hotel rooms in Gunma Prefecture or Shizuoka Prefecture, which is like more than 100 kilometers away from Tokyo. But if they use the Shinkansen bullet train, they can still get to Tokyo in about an hour. But then there's expenses associated with the Shinkansen. I would think that maybe, would, would they decrease some of the wages uh, or the cost for a Shinkansen to, if you did book a hotel in Gunma or Shizuoka or these kind of neighboring prefectures? Yeah, it's That's really... the cost, because now you have the cost of your, your Olympic ticket, the cost of yeah. the Shinkansen, the cost of the hotel, it just yeah. kind of adds up. You're spending thousands of dollars just for a one event thing yeah so i guess some people might have to cancel their tickets if you know just because they couldn't find hotel rooms yeah i mean it's it's like you know you have a olympic game in new york but you have to find accommodation in boston right (laughs) (laughs) yeah so Yasushi, are you gonna rent out any room in your apartment no i don't have any extra room No, but I think a lot of people would start asking their friends if they can stay at their places. (laughs) Well, this has been Amakara Japan. I appreciate listeners listening today as we discuss these topics that are very popular here in Japan that many Japanese people are talking about. And I hope this encourages your own conversations to discuss back home in your own communities of how you would react to some of these issues at hand. I appreciate Stephen and Yasushi speaking with us. So thank you. Bye. Thank you. Yeah. Sayonara. Matane. Talk to you next week.